0: We just give you thanks now, Lord. We, uh, we thank you for your truth. You thank, I thank you, God, that um, you truly are the Lord God Almighty who reigns and that your plans are perfect and there's no one who could thwart you in heaven or on earth. And mighty are your ways. And I just want to thank you, God, that you are, um, you are holy, 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 and you are also good. You are also love. You are just and righteous, and your throne is established in that, and in that we rejoice. And your word goes forth to all the earth, and it brings forth life from the ground. And thank you, as we were gone this last week, it seems like our garden tripled in size. And it just reminds me of that passage that says, As the rain comes down, Lord. And it waters the ground and it brings forth life. So your word goes out into all the earth and it brings forth life. Where there was none, it brings forth life. We can't do that. We can't make a seed grow. But you do and you delight in doing it. And so God, I pray that today that you would uh, be doing that in each of our hearts and lives. We need more and more and more of you, God. So be pleased to pour yourself out here now as we meet around your word and we give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. I titled the message today, How Long Has the Gospel Been Good News? How long has it been good news? Has it been good news for, for uh, 2,000 years? What was that, Todd? I'm sorry. Since it, was created. Since it was created. So I guess the next question would be, well, when was the gospel created? How long has it been good news? And that's what I'm going to be uh, looking at today. I have um, a lot of scripture passages, and uh, for sake of time, what I've done, instead of having you flip to all of these different Scripture passages. I'm going to cheat a little bit and I'm going to put them up on the screen, okay? So what, I, what I'm recommending, I mean, feel free, to, if you can follow along, you know you can maneuver through your Bible pretty quickly because I'm going to kind of crank through some of them very quickly and I want you guys to be able to see with your eyes, hear with your ears and kind of um, have God's Spirit open up our hearts to kind of comprehend some of the stuff because I'm going to go through some Old Testament passages and... Um, if you want to write down the scripture references, that works. I have all of my notes right here too. I'd be more than willing to make a copy if you don't have time to actually write down all of them, or if you're a technological person, I can send it to you on email. So just send me uh, send me a uh, email message. My email is actually in the church directory. I'd be more than willing to share it if you'd like to kind of just review, kind of go through the scripture passages again. I have found an amazing amount of hope in the passages that I'm going to be covering today. And, and what I mean by that is um, not just hope for now, but um, they've made God, in my mind, huge. They've made him huge. And that's my goal. I mean, that's, I hope that's all of our goals. We need to know more of God. And, and this God is big. And I don't know about you, but I, I can't, and I don't think I would worship a, a God that was weak, a God that was not worthy. And the God of the Bible is... Amazing! In fact, um, after the first service, I was speaking with one of the people that were there, and I was saying that we we kind of came to an agreement that he was indescribable. And I told her, well, that's scriptural because there's a verse in Corinthians that says, "Thanks be to God for His indescribable gift." Indescribable gift. So words kind of fail, and um, but God has done a great job at putting together some stuff and keeping it for us even to this present day. And so we we looked at the scriptures and we find truth he reveals himself there and, and I'm hoping that that's what uh, he's going to do today so my first passage and this is the core I'm not going to stay here but uh, we could probably I was thinking that if, if I actually could just like rip out have you ever thought that if you, could just, if you had like one page of the Bible you could actually meditate on that page for the rest of your life even if you didn't have the rest of it and uh, this would be one of those passages in my opinion and it's Ephesians chapter 1 Ephesians chapter 1 Ephesians chapter 1 Just in case you're wondering, up on the screen, in case you're using a different translation, I'm using the English Standard Version, okay? Up on the screen, the English Standard Version, just in case you're using a different translation. So, Ephesians chapter 1. And it says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. We like that verse, by the way. We use it quite frequently. Don't fully comprehend what it means, but we use it to encourage one another. You know what I mean, amen? We bring it up all the time. Even as He, God, chose us in Him, Jesus, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love, He predestined us for adoption through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of His will. To the praise of His glorious grace, with which He has blessed us in the beloved, and He actually goes even farther. I mean, this song of praise in Ephesians chapter one goes farther. That's just I'm going to stop there for now because I think I would get overwhelmed, and I have I get I get a little crazy sometimes in my mind. Praise the Lord for the Holy Spirit because I just I think that this uh, the truths that are presented in God's Word are so intense, and they really From time to time, especially... Some some things are hard in God's Word. True or false? True. In fact, the the Word of God says that it's good for teaching, but it's also good for correction and reproof. Reproof and correction so that we might be adequate and equipped. And I know my my son, he doesn't like it when he gets reproved. And we've been asking God to give him a sensitive conscience, so sometimes I try to reprove him just with a look. You know, I'm like... (laughs) And... Sometimes that works and sometimes it doesn't. Some of you who have had children, you know what I'm talking about. Um, and some, some kids respond to that better than others. Others of them need something a little bit more like a board of education. And, um, and so you, you guys know who who's those, those kids are. When I look at Scripture passages, I like to ask, and I've, I've been taught this and I believe it's true, use the Bible to interpret the Bible. Um, it's good to go to external resources, but don't, don't end up um, making idols out of external resources and forsaking the truth of God's Word. You know, he, he actually says that sometimes we have a tendency to go to cisterns whose water isn't really that good and he wants us to go to him. And so one of the things that I do when I read the Scriptures is I ask the 5W and the H question, you know what I'm talking about? Who, what, where, when, why, and how. And so I'm going to do that real quick with this passage. So who, who is the who in this passage? The who is God the Father the Lord Jesus Christ, and then us. Do you see them all in there? God the Father, the Lord Jesus Christ, and then us. What is going on? Or what what is happening? Well, what you see is that God the Father is doing something. Um, He's blessed us in Christ. He's chose us in Him. And He's predestined us for adoption through Jesus Christ. Those are the things that this passage is talking about. And um, so that's the what. What's God doing in this passage? He's blessed us, he's chosen us, and he's predestined us unto adoption. That's awesome, by the way. Um, we we uh, just got back from uh, scholarship camp, and it's not scholarship camp anymore, it's a whole different camp. Actually, Juana doesn't do camp anymore. Um, it's actually called Camp Monomena, which is a very spiritual word. Uh, if any of you have ever seen the Muppet show, it, it kind of goes... Manamana do 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 do. Manamana do do. That, that that's our that's what our camp is named after. And it doesn't mean anything in Greek or in Hebrew. It just means menamana. And um, we actually train high schoolers. We train them in different areas. We break them up, we set, and some of them do drama, some of them do puppets, some of them do music. There's a prayer team, and uh, we train them during the week, and then we go and we do uh, we go into a mission in Peoria and there's just all of these kids, and they are just so starved for love. They are so starved with love. It does not take time to connect with these young people. And um, they don't all have the best home lives. Some of them might not know all who their, their fathers and their mothers are. And, um, you know, adoption isn't about uh, children actually finding parents. It's about parents looking, going out and looking for children. And that's what God has done in this passage. He's, he's, he's about the business of doing it. And, and you're going to see that he's very serious about this business of doing it, which is to our joy, actually. To our joy. And that's another thing. All right, so the when. What's the when? When did all this stuff happen? Before the foundation of the world. Before the foundation of the world is happening. Okay? The when. How did God actually do this? How is he, how is he choosing us? How is he blessing us? How is he adopting us? Through Jesus, through Jesus, that's the 90 percentile answer, right? When, when they ask questions, you 90 can, percent, you can pretty much answer Jesus and most of the time you'll, you'll be right, most of the time, with the questions, okay? So he does it in Christ, in him, through Jesus Christ. He is the center. He is the one who has done it. He is the redeemer. He is the savior. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. He's the living water. He's the living bread. He's all in all. He's everything. He's preeminent, okay? He's preeminent. And then why has he done it? Why has he done this? Well, he's done it because... I'm sorry, go ahead. Yes, and it says it right there, right? In love, he has predestined us for adoption. The why is because of God's love, because he is love, and because he's a father and he wants to build a family, he's, his love is motivating him. It's driving him to engage with his creation which was corrupted by sin. Which was corrupted by sin. And he's, that love is pushing him in. And there's a second reason in here, down at the bottom in verse 6. According to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace. So he's doing it because of his love, and he's also doing it because he's all about putting together a people who will glory in his grace who will sing a song like, I am free to run, and I am free to dance, and I'm free to live in you because you're everything to me. And that's praise, okay? It's not about you know, some sort of religious process. It's about like, you are everything to me, Lord. You are my life. You are my bread. And, and without you, I can do nothing. And he's all about doing that. To the praise of his glorious grace. By the way, his grace was most manifested where? In the cross of Christ. For through the law, through Moses, we receive the law, but grace and truth through Jesus Christ. By the way, that's a whole other message because I don't really think that grace is just unmerited favor. Grace is a whole lot more than that. In fact, I would almost be well to say, in short, grace is Jesus. Grace is Jesus. It's hard to separate Christ from the grace of God. He is the grace of God. For by grace I have been saved through faith. Couldn't you put there for by Jesus I have been saved through faith. Just think about that, something to chew on. There are some passages, by the way, where it does mean favor, but not all of them, okay, not all of them. That's a great word study if you like to do that. Actually go through the uh, Old and New Testament because grace is found in the Old Testament as well. There's a great picture there in the Old Testament where it, where it exists, okay. So he's doing it because of his love, And to gather together a people to praise the glory of his grace. And so we gather together and we praise Christ. You know, and does the worship time end when the singing ends? No, man. No, it doesn't. It just continues on. In fact, when Pastor Paul is up here and he's proclaiming truth from this book, he's singing. He's singing praise to God. Okay, the preacher is actually just worshiping God. That's all they're doing. Okay, and when we share our faith with other people, that's what we're doing. We're worshiping God. Okay, worship is more. It's not about music. It's about um. It's about loving God. Now, there's a whole lot of pictures in the Old Testament of the Gospel. There's a whole lot of pictures. God has put it in there. He really knows that we are thick sometimes. I've probably said that sometimes. We have problems understanding things. In fact, Romans even goes so far as to say that there's none who would seek after Him. No, not one. And so, um, He's placed these markers through time. And I would say even in the creation, I don't have time to go into it all, but in the creation to actually show us more of Christ. And they're all preaching Jesus, all of them. So what are some of these? I want you guys to be thinking, because I'm going to give you an opportunity in just a minute, actually, to illustrate some, if you can, from the Old Testament, so that we can encourage one another, so you guys can engage with me, okay? In the book of Genesis, right in the beginning, here's a picture, um, right after they sin, and they feel the shame, the separation, and they're like, oh man, we're naked. And so they sew fig leaves together, kind of representational of like a workspace form of covering our shame and God comes down has the conversation Adam gives the rhetorical it's not my fault it's your fault because you gave me the woman and the woman made me do it and we still do that today and God actually does something intense there he actually goes to some animal and he he slaughters that animal and that animal dies first time something's probably died in his physical creation and um he takes that their skins and he makes a covering for Adam and Eve. And we have a picture there, don't we? We have a picture of Christ. And so from the very beginning of the fall, by the way, when Adam took that fruit, it wasn't like it was a surprise of God. Oh, no, I just can't believe that happened. How did that happen? Or whatever. God knew all about it because from the foundation of the world, Christ has been slain even before. It was all in his mind. He knows everything. He's omniscient, okay? And he knows it all. And he's, he's about um, putting together some pictures so that we... Know him. He's desirous so that we know him. Okay? So the sacrifice of the animal for covering, that's in Genesis 3.21, by the way. Hebrews 9.22 says, Without the shedding of blood, what? There is no remission, is no remission of sins. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. One of the reasons why I was, uh, wanted to focus in on this this week was because of Paul's message two weeks ago on Romans 1.16-17. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. For the, as it is written, the just will live by faith. And so I want to show you that the Gospel didn't just start when Jesus was born. It's been there all the time and God has been proclaiming it all the time. And, so that, and that is for our joy as well as His joy. Okay, Our joy as well as His joy. Another one, the promised defeat of Satan in in Genesis chapter 3.15. You guys could probably quote that one. I'm going to put enmity, he turns to the serpent, I'm going to put enmity between you and the seed of the woman. That's hatred. I'm going to put hatred between the two of you. And you are going to bruise him, where? On the heel. But he is going to crush you on the head. And all of the work which you have actually done here in the garden, And by the way, you know that God is not just about restoring what we had in the garden; He's actually about bringing about something even greater. In the garden, there was marriage before the fall, wasn't there? Wasn't there marriage before the fall? Adam and Eve were married. You know that's where marriage actually comes from. Jesus said, um, "From the very beginning, it's been this way: one man, one woman, until death." And do you remember what the disciples said? Well, if that's true, man, I don't. This is crazy. Are you crazy? Is that in there? Is that really in there? They actually said that. And so, but in the resurrection, is there going to be marriage? There will not be marriage in the resurrection. So what I'm saying is that even the beauty of God's original creation, and he looked at it and said it was good, and there was no corruption whatsoever, the latter that Christ is bringing is going to be greater than the first. It's going to be greater than the first. We'll actually understand why God created marriage. That marriage is actually a type... And even in its perfection in the beginning, its fulfillment will be in the end. Glory to glory to glory. By the way, do you know that salvation, that when the Bible talks about salvation, that it talks about it in like three different ways? It talks about how we were saved from our sins. It talks about that I need to be saved today. I need grace today to save me. Even as a Christian, I need grace. And then there's the, the salvation that's to come. And one is redemption. One is sanctification. Sometimes you've got to look at the context. Context is king in the Scriptures, right? One time when you talk about salvation, it's talking about redemption. Sometimes salvation is talking about our sanctification. And sometimes when the Scriptures talk about salvation, it's talking about glorification. Glorification in the end, okay? So it's important when you talk about salvation, because we talk about being saved, it's like, well, what form of salvation are you talking about? Well, I'm talking about the end. Like when, when the acorn of my body is made into Imperishable. And we see as we have it right now, we're seeing through a glass dimly, right? All right, so um, what's another picture? I have some more in Genesis pictures of the gospel. You guys have any? I'm sorry? Isaac. Huge one. Huge one. With, when uh, God promised the promised son, son of the promise, gets old enough, probably a young teenager. God says, "I want you to go and sacrifice your son, your only son, whom you love. I want you to do it to me." By the way, you want to know something really cool about Genesis chapter 22, where that story is recorded? It's the first place in the Bible, and this is important. It's the first place in the Bible where the word uh, love actually is written. It's also the first place in the Bible where the word worship is written, and it's also the first place in the Bible where the word obey is written. Take your only son, the son whom you love. Take him to the mountain, and worship me. By sacrificing him to me, and then he d- he was willing to do it. Right, he was willing to do it, and he took up the knife, and, and God stayed the knife, and he gave him another sacrifice. It, a ram was caught in the thicket, and they sacrificed that lamb, and, and uh, that ram, and, and um, Abraham received his son back as from the dead. We were talking about this at scholarship camp, and the, the question that was brought up was, do you think that if you asked Abraham, do you love your son? Before they went up the mountain, he would have said yes. And when they came back down, if you were to ask him, do you love him more or less or the same right now? And the answer would have been, I, I love him more because I've received him back from the dead by faith. And that's exactly what it is. did. His faith was so severe. And that was, a, that was a type. That's a whole big, that's a great passage, actually, to talk about the gospel because it's all about it. Except God didn't stay the knife, right? He was pleased to crush Christ, putting him to grief so that he might reconcile us. And uh, that's a picture. Any other ones? Uh, Noah. Noah, absolutely. The ark is a picture of Jesus Christ. And the flood is a picture of, of God's judgment, actually. Okay? And, and there were eight people that were saved from God's judgment. The ark is a type of Christ. You know, We get in Christ. If you're not on the boat, you're going to die. If you're not in Christ, you are going to die. The wrath of God will abide on you. Okay? And by the way, um, um, removing the wrath of God from us is not a bad motive for coming to Christ, but it's not the best motive for coming to Christ, okay? It's not a bad motive. I mean, how many people do you know that's like, hey, look, do you want to die and like, burn forever and ever and fire and, and, and have worms and gnashing of teeth and, and you do that? I mean, do you really want to do that? I think there's no human being who would be like, yeah, I'm really looking forward to that for all, forever and ever. And... Um, there, there isn't anybody. And, and so it's not a, you know, we need to flee. We need to get on the boat. When God says he's going to do something, he's going to do it. He will do it. And, and there is a judgment that is to come, okay? But that's not the best reason for coming to God. In fact, uh, and I think that's what Paul was talking about two weeks ago when he says that, that, um, that redemption, the forgiveness of our sins, is just the beginning. That opens up the vista Of the beauty of Christ. And now we are free. We are actually free to begin a glorious love relationship with Him, which is our joy when we are on the mountaintop and when we are going through terminal illness. When we're suffering and it seems like we have nowhere to bear and we say, Blessed be your name, Lord. You give and take away, but blessed be your name. You are still my joy today. And when you're on the mountain, and, and, and so we we need to have that, and that is the greater that is the greater purpose for coming to God, the relationship that is restored to Christ through the reconciliation, or to you know between us and God, that Christ has provided. All right, um, more to say on that in a little bit. All right, so Noah, Abraham, anything else? Joseph as well, absolutely, and that's a, that's actually a difficult passage. You know, his brother sold him into slavery. And God had a purpose. I mean, that's a huge story for us sometimes. Because you know what? There is a suffering sometimes that's in accordance with the will of God. Not everything in this life is, is happy. This earth has been frustrated. And if Christ doesn't come back one day, regardless of miraculous healing abilities, and I believe God heals today, he still does according to his will, that um, my body will, be, will, will, will cease to exist. And, and I will be forever with him. For to be separated from the body... Is to be present with God, but uh, um, we can do it still, and He is our joy, and we run to Him. Okay, uh, Abraham and the circumcision, and in Genesis chapter 17, when God said, "This, this is the sign of the covenant." And there was a cutting away of flesh. And it was a blood sacrifice. And he's like, look, at this, this is a sign that you're in relationship with me. Hello. That's actually a type of Christ. It is, actually. We don't do that any longer because it was... Actually, it didn't come from the law only, although the law recorded it. It first started with Abraham. And it was a sign that they were in a covenant relationship with God. You will be my people. I will be your God. And um, so that was a sign of the covenant. We have the cross today. And that's one of the reasons why we don't need to. But the circumcision, and we're going to catch up on this in a little while, you're going to see, circumcision still applies to us today. It still applies to us today. It's just not physical. That circumcision in, that God gave to Abraham was actually only to men, and it was physical. But it was pointing towards a greater circumcision, which you're going to see, okay? Um, in Exodus, you have just the beautiful picture, phenomenal, Right? And that is the, um, what's that one? Yeah, Passover lamb, okay, the Passover lamb. And John the Baptist, when he saw Jesus, his cousin even, they probably had like meals together when they were younger, but at the right time, his eyes were open to the truth. And at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And that's a picture of the Passover Lamb and, and, and the angel of God going down into Egypt and taking out the firstborn of every family, the firstborn male of every family, from Pharaoh to the, to the lowest servant family. And the only way to escape that was to slaughter the lamb, put the blood on the doorposts of your house, and stay in there while the judgment of God walked through the community. And not one that was in the house was, was judged, okay? Not one. They were all saved. In Exodus, you have water from the rock. You have manna. Jesus is the manna, okay? That was just a picture. Jesus says, don't, don't work for the food that perishes. Eat the eternal food. Manna was a picture of the Christ that is to come. And then lastly that I have on here, the Old Covenant which was established, which is the, the law through Moses, okay? The Old Covenant, the Old Testam- the Old Testament, it was written on, on stone tablets and those tab- tablets were placed into the Ark of the Covenant and the law was written down in a book and an animal was slaughtered and he took the blood and he sprinkled it on the people and he sprinkled it on the priests and he said, this is the, this is the covenant of which that we're making. And there's more. By the way, animal sacrifice actually uh, existed long before the law came. Job actually, who probably lived right after the flood, He sacrificed animals too. So they were not without revelation. Even if they were without the the written word, they were not, God has never left a generation without his truth, never, okay? And so, and remember even uh, Cain and Abel, they were sacrificing, weren't they? And Abel brought a blood sacrifice too. He brought a blood sacrifice. So just be thinking about that as we we go. Anyone else have any other pictures in the Old Testament? I'm sorry? Daniel. Daniel, absolutely. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and the suffering of which they... They incurred. There's so many illustrations, okay? So many illustrations. And God's been teaching me a lot about that. Well, in the New Testament, in John chapter 3, Jesus actually is meeting with Nicodemus and he says, "Um, you must be born again. No one will enter into the kingdom of God unless you're born again. And Nicodemus is like, what are you talking about? He actually says, how can these things be? How can these things be? And you remember what Jesus said to him? And I believe that he was very tender. you know, uh, And he looked at him and he says... Are you not a teacher in Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? And inferred, with, inferred in Jesus' words is that here you are, your a leader, a, ra- a rabbinical teacher, a-, a teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand. In other words, you should understand that I am fulfilling that which you have spent your life studying. And that's what I want to look at from the foundation of the world. The gospel from the beginning. Why? Because the new covenant was promised from God from the very beginning. Remember Genesis, from the very fall. The pictures of the animals being sacrificed, all pointers to Christ. A message of light, a message of love, a message of hope, and of a promise of a restored relationship and even greater than what existed originally in the garden. Okay? And so I'm gonna, what I'm going to do is I'm going to put up a bunch of passages up here and like I said, you can write them down. I can send it to you on email. I can make a copy if you'd like. Or if you want to turn to them, I'm going to kind of crank through them. What I'm really hoping is that I get out of the way and that God ministers to all of us, myself included, through his word. That's how the spirit works, okay? So the first verse up there, promises of a new heart and a new spirit. I actually, um, I work with computers um, a lot. And I, and I don't know, if you, if you guys work with computers, um, you have to have, they call them strong passwords and I always use scripture verses for passwords because I can put an upper, lower, uppercase, lowercase, numbers, I use a special character, the colon, and I use these for my memory verses. And then I'm all, I mean, I'm typing it like, you know, 30, 40 times a day. And I'm, I'm, I'm just throwing that out there as a very practical way if you're really interested in memorizing scripture or you're working with computers, it works really great. Plus, you don't have to think, like, what's my next first, or what's my next uh, password going to be, okay? And this was my memory verse for two months, Deuteronomy 30, verse 6. I think this is an amazing verse. Don't just throw the law away, okay? Don't just throw it out. The law is holy and righteous and good. Did the law kill us? Did the law kill us? It's a trick question. Sin killed us. The law did not. The law is actually holy and righteous and good. It was sin in us, and the law has a way of actually exposing the killer. It's like it, it turns the light on the, the instrument that destroys us. Okay? And that's why the law is to be used in evangelism. And that's a whole nother message. But it, it actually brings out sin when you hear it. That's why Paul said, I didn't even know how much I coveted until I, the commandment came, don't covet stuff. And then I realized, man, I'm coveting. I'm coveting the chair. I'm co- Whoa! I need to cover my eyes. I'm coveting everything. You know? And he realized... The law, sin became exceedingly sinful when the law came. And there is an appropriate use even today for the law, okay? And um, I believe it's in evangelism. I believe that that's what the Bible teaches. And, and it's because it reveals our need for God. But don't throw everything out. There's stuff in here that's beautiful. This is beautiful. And it's right in the middle of the law. Look at this verse. And the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring so that you will love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul that you might live. Did the law do that? The law does not do that. The law actually illustrates sin and it offers no power for me to love God. But look at right here in Deuteronomy in the law in Deuteronomy 30 verse 6 look at what's happening. Who's taking the action? The Lord is taking the action and what is he doing? He's circumcising our hearts. Not just a flesh circumcision. But he's circumcising our hearts and the heart of your offspring. By the way, that's an awesome verse for, for those of you who have children or who have grandchildren who are not walking with the Lord. And you've probably spent hours praying or maybe hours even trying to lecture your youth into, you know, don't you love God? What's wrong? Why are you making the choices that you're making? And look at this hope verse. Circumcise your heart. Why? What is he going to do? It says, So that you will love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul that you might live. Where does the love come from? The love actually comes from God. We don't even generate the love. The love actually comes from God. He is so serious about raising up a people who love him that he sends an alien entity into the world, and a human entity, into the world to conquer us. And when we're conquered, the result is love. Love for God. That's what it is. Okay, the next verse. Ezekiel chapter 11, verses 19 through 20. And I will give them one heart and a new spirit I will put within them. I will remove their heart of stone from their flesh and give them a heart of flesh that they may walk in my statutes and keep my rules and obey them and they shall be my people and I will be their God. I want you to take note in all of these verses who is taking the initiative and who is being acted upon and what is the role of the person who is being acted upon? Yes. I mean, he's like doing everything. Look at it. I'm going to give him one heart. That's unity, by the way. Jeez, and you're going to see in just a minute. That's unity. One heart. I will put a new spirit within them. I'm going to remove. This is all about regeneration. We once were dead, but now we are alive. I once was blind, but now I see. I once was deaf, but now I hear. I once couldn't speak, but now I can. I once was lame, and I couldn't even get out of the, off, the, off the chair, and now I can run. I once was in a grave, and God came and spoke, and I was raised. From the dead. And it's it's not a whole lot going on there with me. There is something we need to we do need to make a choice, but underlying that choice is God. Okay? Alright, next verse. New heart and new spirit. Ezekiel twenty six, verses twenty six and twenty seven. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean from all your uncleanness, and from all of your idols I will cleanse you. What does that remind you of? The blood of Christ. The blood of Christ. Peter actually talks about this. That we've been sprinkled with the blood of Christ. In the Old Testament, the covenant, they were actually sprinkled with the blood of the animals, okay? And and how are we forgiven? Through the blood of Christ. And from all of your And I will give you a new heart. Look at that. And a new spirit I will put within you. There it is again, a new spirit. I'm going to invade your lives. I'm going to invade your lives, and I'm going to change you. There's actually a song we've been singing for a couple months now. It's called, From the Inside Out. From the Inside Out. And that's what God is doing. I will put within you, and I will remove your heart of stone from your flesh. I will give you a heart of flesh, and I will put... Here, look at this. I will put my spirit in you. He's so serious about raising up a people who will glory in his grace, and he's so serious about loving people that he, he sends his own spirit into the world to, look at that, cause you to walk in my statutes and to be careful to obey my rules. This is one of the reasons why like, um, we need to stay away from legalism, but the law, is not, the law is not necessarily bad. What's the summation of the law? The summation of the law is the greatest commandment. Let's quote it together. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And then the second greatest commandment, Love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said all of the law and the prophets can be summed up in these two things. So you know what God's talking about when he says I'm going to cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful so that you will obey me? Remember, worship, love, and obedience are tied together. Read it in, in Genesis 22. They're, all, they're synonymous. You can't, you can't worship and not have love. You can stand here and sing songs all day long and if you don't love God, you're not worshiping him. And you can't have love and worship and not be desirous at obeying him. You can't. It just, they occur all together. But here's the hope. It's God. He does it. He's the one who does it. And if the summation of the law is to love God with all of my heart, with all of my soul, with all of my strength, and to love my neighbor as myself, what he's saying is, I'm going to cause you to do this. I'm going to cause you to do this. So how many of you have relationships in your lives, horizontal relationships, and you have like a dollar in your pocket and the person comes in uh, into your sphere of influence, and, and they like come to your soul, and they like they ask you for four million. You know what I'm talking about? They're like, "I need four million dollars," and and you look at them, and you're like, "I have a dollar in my." Po-. You're thinking, "I have a dollar in my pocket, and I I have already allocated Lord that dollar to buy me an ice cream cone at Dairy Queen, and I'm not I'm not giving it out." And what happens is God creates these horizontal relationships. Sometimes they're a joy and sometimes they're a challenge. Why does he do that? So that we can draw down on him. And we draw down deep on God. And what happens is, is that when these, when these relationships come into our lives, we actually get out of the way and the Holy Spirit brings the four million dollars and it flows right through us. That's ministry. Ministry is loving relationships. That's what it is. It's not about doing something. It's about loving people, okay? Okay. And it looks like we're doing something outside, but it's about love. If you don't have love and you're working in ministry, then that's not ministry. Okay, that's not ministry. And so, I will cause you to walk in my statutes. I will put my spirit within you. Okay, David, next, next slide, please. New heart, new spirit. Jeremiah 24-7, I will give them a heart to know that I am the Lord, and they shall be my people, and I will be their God, for they shall return to me with their whole heart. This is not something that we generate. This is something that God does. You saw it already. New heart. New spirit. It's like the wind. It's regeneration. Titus actually talks about this when he says, there's a washing and regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. Not through works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to His mercy, He has saved us by the washing and regeneration and renewing of the Spirit of God. And our hearts cry, I am free to love you. That is amazing. And it is the work of God and we magnify Him and extol Him. Okay, next verse. Mm-hmm. John 17, 21. This is the unity thing. I will give them one spirit to be together. Remember what Jesus said. That they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I am in you, that they also might be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me, that the world might come to join in the praise of His glorious grace, Ephesians 1:16. Actually, evangelism is just that. We're like, we're worshiping this glorious God, and we're inviting the peoples of the world with us to join with us into this magnificent chorus of praise of, of every tribe, of every nation. That's mission focus. That's mission focus. How do these missionaries go? How do they go into the frontier? How do they give up their families? How do they do this? Because of the love of God. Okay, Next verse. In their hearts. Ephesians 1.13 In Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and you believed in Him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. Here it is again. And notice that it's in the same same section of verses that I quoted at the beginning, to the praise of his glory. To the praise of his glory. This is Christ and the sending of the Holy Spirit. Actually, the disciples received the Holy Spirit when he was raised. Remember, he was raised. John is the only place that this is recorded. He breathes on them and he says, Receive the Holy Spirit. And then at Pentecost, the Holy Spirit comes in power. And when we believe, we are sealed in Christ with the Holy Spirit, he's our down payment, he invades our lives, never to leave us. In the Old Testament, people could be filled with the Holy Spirit, but he could leave them, not so with us in the New Covenant, okay? God is serious about keeping us, loving him. Saul, at one time, went up onto the mountain where the prophets were, and he was like, it was like a charismatic worship service up there, man, they were like glorying in God, singing songs. He comes down the mountain and they're all like, look at Saul, dude, he's like one of the, he's like a prophet, he's filled with the Spirit of God and he's all rejoicing in the Lord and then later on the time comes and he's asked to do something and he doesn't do it. And instead of the joy of the Lord, he actually gets tormented. And, and, and that's not so with us in the New Covenant. That's not so. The Holy Spirit has come, promised in Ezekiel and we've been given it freely. We've been given him freely. Okay, next verse. Romans 8, 9, You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. And so again, you see here that there's a direct connection between our relationship with God, the Father, through Jesus Christ, and the receiving of the Holy Spirit. Every believer has the Holy Spirit. Jesus spoke of the coming of the Holy Spirit in John 14 and 16, and I already spoke about these other points. Okay, bring up the next slide. This is these are now some verses in the Old Testament about the coming of a new covenant. Jeremiah 32 verses 38 through 41, and they shall be my people, and I will be their God. I will give them one heart and one way. Doesn't that sound like um, John 14:6? And Jesus said to Thomas, "I am the way." And the truth and the life. It makes me wonder if Thomas knew this passage. Did he see it? Did God, you know, Jesus told Peter, flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I think that these people could understand and comprehend this, at least at, at some point in time. They're like, whoa, this is Jesus that I've been reading since I was a little kid. I will give them one heart and one way that they might fear me forever for their own good and for the good of their children after them. Parents with children again. Hello. Where is our hope? Is our hope in our, ch- our children's ability to change themselves? Our hope is in our God. And in, in Him we trust. We go to Him and we're like, Lord, I need You. I need You to move on my child's behalf from the very beginning to the very end. Isn't that the role of a parent? To evangelize their children, to love their children as Christ loves the church, to, to pray for them. And what is our prayer? cast your burdens upon the God who has promises like this, who delights in saving entire households. And there's a lot of young Christian people, by the way, that are falling away from the Lord when they hit adole- their older adolescence. I'm really concerned about that. I don't understand it all, but we need to be in prayer about that. I also believe, however, that there's Uh, you know, a generation of young people that are going to take God seriously. And maybe he's bringing a winnowing rod here, you know. Are you going to take me seriously or not? No more playing around. No more mediocrity. You're either for me or you're against me. If you're going to live in the world, live in the world. If you're going to live for me, live for me. And the beautiful part about it is, he does it. And I think he, he needs to awaken them to that, okay? I will make that with them, here it is, an everlasting covenant, not, not just a short one, but one that's going to go on forever and ever, that I will not turn away from doing good to them, and I will put the fear of me in their hearts. There's another promise right there. Oh, an awesome, like you are an amazing and awesome God. If I see you, I'll probably die, and then you'll have to raise me from the dead again. But that's okay. I'm all right with that. If, it's, if, you, if that's what's going to bring you honor and praise, then, then go, go ahead. That they may not, look at that, turn from me. That's an awesome passage. Have you been worried like, Lord, I don't ever want to leave you. I mean, if you've ever read Pilgrim's Progress, the set part, the two, there was a guy in there. His name was Fearful. And um, he was just, he wasn't afraid that he wasn't saved, but he was just always timid about stuff all the time. And actually, I love that story because it talks about how when when it came time for him to die and he was crossing through the river into the celestial city, they said, the way that uh, John Bunyan wrote it, it said the river had never been, the banks had never been so low. The banks of the river had never been so low. And God knows what we need. God knows what we do. But here it is. God's like, I am so serious about you being with me forever. I'm, go- I'm going to make sure it happens. I'm going to do it through Jesus. I'm going to do it through my son, okay? I will rejoice in doing them good. I will plant them in this land in faithfulness with all of my heart and with all of my soul. Isn't it cool when God uses like anthropomorphisms like that? He's like, I, I want to talk in a way that you understand I am serious about loving you. I am serious about this. I'm so serious about it. I'm going to help you. And I'm not just going to join with you. I'm going to change you. I'm going to do it from the inside out. All right, next verse. Jeremiah 31, verses 31 through 34. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a inheritance new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. By the way, salvation is from the Jews, Right? And the reason why salvation is from the Jews is because Christ, Jesus Christ, was born of that lineage. And so we are grafted in. If you're not a Jewish person, we have been grafted in to Ju- the Jewish lineage. And so this promise is for us. Okay, This is for us as well. We've been grafted in to this promise. I'm making a new covenant with the house of Israel, with the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. Look at the intimacy. The intimacy in that picture. Okay, Another reason why he created marriage. He wants us to understand how he feels about us. Okay, But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them I will write it on their hearts, not on tablets of stone, but on, in our hearts. By the way, that's recorded in Corinthians, that God has done this through Christ. I'm not going to cover that, but... And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each one his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. This is a beautiful thing. So I go up to Ken, and I'm like, Ken, do you know the Lord? And he tells me, yeah, he does. And, and, and it's a beautiful thing. I don't have to go up to another Christian and be like, do you know the Lord? Know the Lord. Because he's, he's like everywhere, But you're, and, and, and he knows everything, and he's all-powerful, and he's omnipotent, and you're his favorite person. And so am I. And you know him. And how does he do that? Because he's the Lord. And so you see in this, what is Christianity? What is it? Dave, bring up the next verse here. They will all know me, remember that, in forgiveness of their iniquity. Jesus took the cup and said, this is the cup that is poured out for you. It's the new covenant. I'm pouring it out in the new covenant which is being sealed in my blood. I'm going to sacrifice my body and I'm establishing a new covenant. He said it another way when he said, new wine cannot be put into old wineskins. New wine has to be put into new wineskin. And he was talking about the new covenant that's coming. And he's establishing it through his death. No longer a sacrifice of an animal. No longer a sacrifice of, uh, according to the law. He's fulfilling the law, though. Okay? He's not abolishing it. He is fulfilling it. The law was wrote to point to him as a sacrificial lamb. And so now he offers it as a high priest and as the offering itself. The fulfillment, pointing to the glory of God. New covenant in my blood. Next verse, yeah. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. That's awesome. That is just an amazing verse. And Jesus was able to forgive people on the earth of their sins even before he offered himself as a sacrifice. Remember that? He did it several times and the Pharisees got, they did not like him doing that. But frequently he says, what's easier for me to say? Get up off your pallet and walk or your sins are forgiven you. I'm going to say your sins are forgiven you so that you understand that I have authority on earth to forgive sins. And he's the only one who can do it. Because to God, the gospel was already established. You see what I'm saying? Now there were still some things for his soul to go through and the Garden of Gethsemane is the night of darkness for our Lord. Every time I think of it, it just breaks my heart, but the reality of it is he had to go through that time to show himself as a strong high priest and worthy as a high priest and as a sacrifice to do it, and we praise God for it. The forgiveness of our trespasses. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. And so, again, remember the Jeremiah passage. You shall all know me in the New Covenant. In the New Covenant, you're not going to wonder, well, what does the Lord's voice sound like? Because you will know him. Okay? You will know him from the least to the greatest. Okay, next, next slide. Colossians 2, 9, before, I really tried to trim this down. I'm really sorry, but I could not because it's just too beautiful. And I want you to picture in your mind, the, I probably should put it back up there again, Deuteronomy 30, verse 6, where it says, the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring, that you will love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul, so that the fulfillment of the commandment and the walking in the commandment to love the Lord our God is not even up to us, it's up to it's up to I'm going to to say it, Christ in us, okay? So check out this passage. This is amazing. For in him, Jesus, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. I'm sorry, I had to put that in there because it's not really, I mean, it's part of the point, but it's just too glorious and I wanted to worship him. So, And you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. And in him, here it is, also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off of the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him into baptism, in which you were also raised up with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And you, who were dead in your trespasses and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God has made alive together with him, having forgiven us all of our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. He set it aside because he nailed it to the cross when he nailed Jesus' body there. That is absolutely a phenomenal verse. Now, what I'm saying is, the Gospel is preached in Deuteronomy 30, verse 6. And there is the fulfillment of it. It took a couple thousand years before it came, but it did. And now we are circumcised. We call it something else. We call it being born again. We call it regeneration. We call it being raised from the dead. Whatever you want to call it. And and Paul is going to get into this in the future as he goes through Romans, especially when he hits around Romans chapter 6, because this is what happens. We've been circumcised. Our sin nature has been crucified with Christ. And we have died. And now we're alive. And we don't boast in anything that we do because the life that we live is not ours. It's Christ in us. You see what I'm saying? I mean, it's phenomenal. I love this. And we're going to see in just a second why. Why I love this so much. And why you guys love it so much. I'm hoping that you're singing with me. That your hearts are singing, okay? right. and this is actually, believe it or not, my last passage. And... um, This passage is just absolutely amazing because I don't know how God did this, but He actually wrote about me with this. You know what I'm talking about? And He, I don't know. Do you have you have you guys ever read this and be like, "That's me"? How did He do that? How did He write me into His eternal book? How did He do that? And so, for consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many powerful. Not many were of noble birth, but God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not. There I am. There's Carrie. The things that are not. The things that are not, God chose. God did. Did you see it three times there? I like how it kind of lined up too. God chose, God chose, God chose. God did these things. He did these things, and they're marvelous in his sight. God chose The things that are not, to bring to nothing the things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. You know, I'm actually glad that I can't boast in the presence of God. I hope that you are. I mean, it's Him, it's all Him. He's done it all, He's done everything, and He's done it in such a way that boasting is removed. That's what's so offensive about religious systems. Do you know what I'm talking about? Even within evangelical Christianity, we have a tendency to do this. We can structure ourselves a system, and in the end, when we put ourselves into the box and we do the things that we need to do, or whatever, you know, and that was a I number, we do the things that we need to do, we come out the other end, and we're like, thank you, God, for helping me along the way, but I actually added some in there, and I was very disciplined in that. And, uh, but I appreciate the extra assistance that you. You add it, and and we end up boasting in ourselves. Now I'm I'm using it as an exaggeration, but it looks something like, it looks something like, man, I stumbled again in that besetting sin area, and now I need to do this, and I need to do this, and I need to do this, and I need to, I need to pick up, I need to have this much time devotions, and, and I need to have this over here, and and those things are not bad things, but you can you can build a religious system. And there are some religious systems that are like, Jesus is 95% plus the 5% that I add in of my part, you know, the choices that I make. And and so, if that were true, I could boast in it. I could be like, thank you, Jesus, and thank you, me. Thank you, me, actually, for that. And, I probably shouldn't say this, but I'm going to do it anyways. Um, I actually don't don't like the song "Thank You" because I think that it's not scriptural. And the reason why I the reason why I say that is because, um, although I think that we will, I don't know if you guys know you know I'm talking about the song. You know, "Thank You for Giving to the Lord," for I am a life that was changed. Thank You for giving to the Lord because um, I'm here in heaven because of what You've done, and that's basically the story of that that, that song. And um, I think that this removes that boasting. I think that you and me and everything... Did I do anything? If there's anyone in heaven, did I do anything to get them there? Do I deserve any praise whatsoever? No. Because all boasting has been removed. And if you see anything good in me, if you see me doing anything good that's inside, it's because it's not me. It's because I've died. And it is now Christ. And God has removed all boasting from man because of the cross and because of sin. So that all glory and all praise and all honor go to Christ. And if you are there in glory in the new heaven and the new earth, there won't be any thanking of one another. There will be praising at the feet of Jesus for his amazing, amazing grace. Now don't get me wrong. If you hear what I'm saying Your love for God and your boasting in the the cross of Christ and in his life, that is, that love relationship that, you know what it is, we're we're tapping into something supernatural. We are tapping into the love relationship of Jesus to God the Father. And he actually, what happens is, is that if you feel any affection towards God, In truth, I'm not talking about religious affection. I'm talking about if you feel affection towards Christ, towards God the Father, it's because Christ is dwelling in you and you are tapping into the love of Jesus Christ for the Father. And it is that love which sent him into the world to embrace poverty and to embrace the cross and to die. Not my will, but yours be done. And if you have affection for Christ in that way, that is missionary love. I don't choose to be a missionary because I'm like, there's anything good in me. I would never do it. I would never sacrifice myself. We never would because of sin. But Christ in us would. And he says, I want you to go to Frontier Missions. Get in that 1040 window. Get over there. I want you out there. I want you on the front lines. I want you to sacrifice your life. And I'm worthy of it. And we see God and we see the gospel with the vision of Jesus Christ and we see others with the vision of Jesus Christ and all boasting has been removed. And that is the way God has planned it. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. He is our source of life. We had a young person actually get up at, at camp um, this week and, um, to give testimony on Friday night and I was really moved by this. She, she actually stood at the microphone and she goes to all of her peers and there's, you know, 150 people there. She's like, I don't want any of you to, when I, when I, when I give you my name, because you have to share your name, when, when I have to give you my name, I don't want you to praise me at all. I don't want to hear any clapping at all. So she gave her name and they did it anyways. But um, what she said was intense. And I'll be honest with you, I don't, listen up young people, I don't meet very many people with that sort of spirit. I don't, but it is the spirit of which that is in this book. And what she said is, every time you see me offend someone else, every time I offend you, every time I hurt you, every time that, I, that uh, you see me doing something that's wrong, you see me. Every time you see something that I'm doing that is kind, that is good, that is loving, that's Christ. That's Christ. And that is why I don't want you to praise me. I don't want you, if you see anything good in me, then what you should be doing is clapping for Christ. Because he is all in all. And it is him who is in Galatians 2.20. Let's quote it together. For I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives within me. And the life that I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. It is Christ who lives within us. I'm sorry, Steve, what? Oh, is that 21? Did I go, did I go into the next one too? All right, I have... Four points for application, which I've already given out. Go ahead and just put them all up there, David. Boast in the Lord. Don't be ashamed of the gospel. If God is for us, who can be against us in the last point? Be free to love people extravagantly. I love that word extravagantly. Words aren't always good, but I just like it. And, uh, and the reality of it is, is that how can we be ashamed? Was Christ ashamed? He took our shame. He took our shame. And we don't have to be ashamed. And now it's not our love at all, but it's Christ who lives within us. And so now we can love God extravagantly and we can love others extravagantly. And when they come in and they ask for $4 million, you can draw down deep on the eternal, extravagant love of Christ and let him do his mighty work through you. And there's nothing greater. It will bring joy to your soul, by the way, Giving praise to yourself will not bring you joy. It won't. It might feel good for a moment, just like all sin does, but lasting joy comes from boasting and extolling and magnifying and jumping up, for da- jumping up and down and doing these things in the name and, the glory and to the glory of our great God and Father. How long has the gospel been good news? Forever. Forever. And you know, he's, he's done it for our good so that we can have eternal joy to all peoples everywhere. Let's pray. God, we give you thanks. And we glory in you and in the cross. We have nowhere else to turn. And I pray, Lord, that you would uh, truly help us to understand and get a grip on these choices, on these, uh, on these scripture verses. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to know you more in greater and greater measure, help us to boast in you, help us to delight ourselves in you. I pray today for those in this room that have children or grandchildren that are really struggling, Lord, and and families that are represented by our church that aren't here. And I pray that you would teach them how to call upon your name, the most powerful name in the universe, and to intercede on behalf of, of these kids. And Lord, I pray you would show themselves strong, that we would see a generation of young people that make their boast in the Lord. And there's just so many things that are distracting them. Text messaging, internet, movies, television, and all these other things. And some of them are not necessarily morally uh, evil, but they crowd out and become idols. And and Lord, I pray that you would just do a mighty work in the hearts of uh, generations that are alive here on the earth today that we might love you with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind and with all of our strength and love our neighbor as ourselves, and that th- all of our boasting of that love would be to the praise of your glory as we recognize that it is not us, but Christ in us. In Jesus' name we ask this, amen.